Welcome to the Queer Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Elise, and each week I'll be interviewing a queer person about their experiences in fitness and sports. This week, I talked to G, founder of the Queer Kickboxing Club. The Queer Fitness Podcast is co-produced by Eden Robinson. This episode of the Queer Fitness Podcast is sponsored by stdcheck.com. Order STD tests online, visit a test center, and get your results within one to two days. Get $10 off your order and find your nearest lab by following the link in the show notes of the podcast. Could you introduce yourself, uh, your queer identity, and any other words to describe yourself? Yes. Um, I'm G. I go by G. Um, I uh, use they, them pronouns, um, and I identify, I guess it depends on the audience, but uh, typically somewhere on the queer, fluid, uh, andro, trans mask spectrum. Um, But it's all a little, I like to say everything in my life is fluid. So (laughs) generally, I kind of stick with, you know, uh, queer fluid as as an overall encompassing description. Cool. Yeah. Um, and any other words to describe yourself, what you're doing or hobbies or anything? Yeah, um, I would say uh, passionate, um, uh, understanding, um, intense, <laughs> I've been described as. Um, and uh, I would say uh, always, always striving to be kinder. Cool. Could you start talking about how you got into sports? Like what were you doing as a kid or mm-hmm. through your yeah, teenage absolutely. years or anything? Yeah. So um, I come from a family of people who are not athletes. Um, so all of this was very uh, intrinsically motivated, even as a, as a young kid. Um, I wanted to be doing every sport I possibly could. Um, and I think part of that maybe stemmed from the fact that my sister and I, though, even we're, even though we're only a couple years apart, um, we always had very separate schools and activities. So I kind of was always looking for that, you know, team or that group or that class of people, um, as a kid. And, um, but I kind of, you know, did a little bit of everything as a kid, um, not super competitively, but just, you know, as, as play. Um, but in terms of sports, I, I always kind of gravitated towards, um, soccer, basketball, hockey, um, martial arts, obviously. Um, I was recruited heavily for things like basketball and football because I'm almost six feet and I've always been very tall. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, but, but consistently, um, throughout my childhood, martial arts really was kind of my sports outlet. Um, and so I think, um, my parents who are very creative and kind of artsy people, uh, were like, okay, well, at least if you're going to do something like sport, like it'll also have the word art in it. Um, So, you know, it won't be like football or like whatever. Um, so I think that they, you know, they, they, um, understood how beneficial it was for me, both physically and, and mentally and emotionally as a kid. Um, it's, um, obviously, you know, as, as we all know a little bit and, and can surmise martial arts teaches very important skills and tools, things like discipline and, um, how to peacefully resolve things and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I always say I, I probably would not be the same person without martial arts in my life at such a young age. Um, so I actually, when I was about five or six, I went to my mom and I said, mom, I, um, I really want to play ice hockey. <laughs> and she was like, um, <laughs> okay. 
okay is there anything else you want to do oh right yeah um and I was kind of always you know the before we had language to describe this kind of always the like tomboy um you know wearing boys clothes and, and I'm using air quotes uh, yes clothing should, should not be gendered yet it is um but you know I was just kind of kind of in that niche and uh so I also at the same time really really wanted to be a ninja turtle and was obsessed with martial arts so she said I had to pick one um that I couldn't do both and I think luckily for me and maybe for other people I picked martial arts yeah um and uh, so I still love hockey and play hockey and, and basketball and, and football and soccer and all that stuff um but martial arts was was really consistent for me throughout my life and I took a couple years on and off you know breaks here and there but kind of always returned to it um the school that I was at uh was uh is a very different place now I will say that um but at the time um, was a very uh, woman and queer centric and focused space. And so I think my parents really liked that as well. Oh, that's that it was really very, cool. Um, yeah, which is not common. Right. Um, yeah. As you know, in sports and martial arts and anything. Um, and so it was a very special safe space where, you know, um, being a radical angry feminist was okay. And, and um, you know, so it was, it was a different martial arts experience for sure than ones that my friends were having. Uh, but I really think that it shaped me into the martial artist that I am. Um, and uh, in high school and college kind of dabbled a little bit in college. I played some, uh, I played with the, the gay league here, the CMSA. Oh, nice. um, so I played flag football with them a couple times. Um, and uh a little bit of dodgeball. I kind of wanted to try everything I could, you know, since I didn't grow up in that family that, that did that stuff. I wanted to get my hands on whatever I could um, once I, once I was able to. So, um, and that goes as far as, you know, me seeking out opportunities to learn how to snowboard, for instance, um, something that my family would, would never do. And um, something that I had always wanted to do and, and did. Um, so I think most of my sports journey, if you will, has been based on uh, sort of these, almost like childhood desires, oh, um, yeah. wanting, wanting to be fulfilled um, as an adult. So, yeah. What, what martial art were you then taking as a kid and which ones did you return to as an adult or which mm -hmm. different uh, schools or dojangs or whatever did you go to and how is that experience different? Mm, very different. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, let's see. So most of my training, um, I have a first degree black belt in Sado karate, uh, which is a very traditional, formal Japanese style of karate. Um, the basis of it is strikes, punches, kicks, and blocks. So it's not a lot of grappling. It's not a lot of uh, joint locks. It's not a lot of board breaking. Um, it's really learning how to strike and defend yourself and sparring and that kind of stuff, uh, whereas other arts focus on different, different aspects. Um, other arts also have different shapes. So some of them like Kung Fu is much more eccentric and dance like it's very circular rather than linear, um, the techniques. Um, so I would say, gosh, we're almost at 25 years of training in Sado karate. Um, and then when I moved to New York, uh, I lived in Brooklyn and trained at a mixed martial arts dojo there um, called Focus Mixed Martial Arts, which is a wonderful place. I highly recommend it. Uh, Michael, the owner, is, is a wonderful person. They teach kids, adults, everything. Um, and that is where um, I gained most of my MMA experience. I did a little bit with some friends here kind of outside of our classes just for fun. Yeah. Um, but really uh, taught and, and trained there, uh, kids and adults as well. And so, you know, I got to learn snippets of everything, which was wonderful. I got to learn some capoeira, some kung fu, some aikido, some jujitsu, um, our niece, which is a really cool Filipino martial arts that has short, like three inch wooden sticks 
um, just some really cool stuff. Uh, and so I don't have, you know, obviously when it's mixed martial arts, it's harder to like have a belt because right. there are so many different styles. Um, but so I trained there for about four years on and off. Um, and then when I got back here and once I started to look around and look for other places, I realized they're just, everything was so cis male dominated and run yeah. and, um, not queer affirming or welcoming. Um, and I didn't want to put my money or my time or my energy into that. So I saw a need and just kind of was like, well, I can create it and either people will come or they won't. Yeah. And it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so you've like sort of transitioned very nicely into my next question then. <laughs> um, yeah, let's talk about the start of the queer kickboxing club. Why is it kickboxing club instead of an MMA club? And just the start of the whole endeavor, I guess. And yeah, yeah. tell me more. Um, yeah, so I'll, so I'll answer that quick question first. So it's, um, so I decided, I, I thought a lot about, you know, what I wanted the name to be, what I wanted to offer. Um, obviously I want to offer services that I am qualified in. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, but at the same time, I know that, um, my capacity and availability just logistically right now is limited. So training people one-on-one or, you know, two people or maybe three people max is much more what I'm able to do right now. Um, and hopefully in the future we'll have a bigger space for group classes. Um, but just kind of knowing that I, I wouldn't be able to offer kind of formal traditional group classes, I decided to kind of go a different route. And um, I really think that kickboxing, you know, from when I've done it, um, the, the less formal, you know, kind of kickboxing yeah. is one of the best workouts you can have because it truly is cardio and strength together. Um, and so people underestimate this and I'll have people, you know, email me and be like, Oh, I want to, I want to do an hour session. And I'm like, "Mm, are you sure? (laughs) Um, typically around minute 20, people are starting to starting to panic about how tired they are. Um, because I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more than people think. Um, but so I kind of wanted to give it, I wanted to make sure it had an exercise component, right? I didn't, I've, I've been in some martial arts classes where I feel the balance of exercise to, um, what's what I'm looking for, kind of not lecturing, but you know, like exercise to teaching, like was off where I felt like there was just so much downtime and I wasn't like sweating as much as I wanted. And so I want to make sure that I'm providing that for people, obviously at varying levels and modifications. Um, but for people to really feel like they're getting their money's worth and they're getting a workout and they're sweating and they're feeling those endorphins. And, um, so the easiest way to kind of bridge together the knowledge that I already have and the training that I already have um, was to do something more casual and, and informal like kickboxing. Um, but MMA is also super fun. And, um, I do think that practically speaking, um, in terms of a more street self-defense style, MMA is a bit more useful than something that's very formal and traditional, right? Right. Um, when you run into a problem on the street, you're not going to be like, hang on, let me get into my like formal front leaning stance before I punch you, you know, like, it's like, no, I can grab you or we can, you know, whatever. Um, and, and usually there's an easier approach. So part of what I liked about um, being an MMA, especially after being in such a formal art for so long, was the informality of it and the sort of um, more seemingly just simple approach to it. Um, so, yeah. So like I was saying, when I got back here about a year ago, I um, really wanted to, you know, be a part of that community again. And there was um, just a lot of kind of stuff going on with the school and Um, I decided it was better for me to kind of just branch off and start my own thing. And, um, every school that I, you know, looked at, especially here was, um, in sports in general, I think there's a lot of 
cis male machismo, but martial arts is, can be even worse because you're hitting people. Yeah. <laughs> so you're having this kind of, um, you know, and I've seen many times, especially with cis men who are training this kind of power struggle, right? Of like, well, I'm going to hit you harder and I'm going to hit you harder. And that's, that doesn't teach anyone anything, unfortunately, that just gets people hurt. Um, so for me, it was really important to, uh, create a model that, that copied some of what I had had, you know, from my previous school, but then also took other things into account. Um, and so our focus and our mission, QKC's mission is really to provide a safe, affirming, open, comfortable space for people to train at every level. Um, people, you know, someone who's in a wheelchair can train, someone who is pregnant can train, someone who is, right, so we are, our keywords kind of our inclusivity and accessibility. Um, part of our, you know, part of our other, the other part of our mission is that we want uh, everyone to be able to use it. We don't want finances to be a barrier. Um, I thought long and hard about payment and decided to um, make it on a sliding scale for our community because I know that personally for me when I was looking, I, I couldn't afford what was out there. Um, and, uh, you know, we never want finances to be a barrier for anyone. The benefits physically and mentally and emotionally of martial arts are far too wonderful for someone to not be able to pay $10. So we always figure it out. Yeah. Um, and we have some clients that barter and exchange services with us. Um, for instance, I have a client who's a licensed massage therapist. So I give the sessions, he gives some massages, which is amazing. Nice. Um, yeah. So uh, any services that we can use, um, we definitely are, are more than open to bartering and exchanging for that. Um, and ultimately, you know, the, the other piece of it is that um, truly it was a little bit of selfish motivation on my part. You know, I want to uh, create a kind of a group of fighters that, that I can also train with. Um, and so uh, I actually just trained someone tonight who um, I had trained with as a kid back at the school I was just talking about. Oh, that's um, really and it was cool. Her, yeah, it was awesome. It was her first time back in like a decade, you know, doing that kind of stuff again. And um, so just finding people of different skill levels and ability levels and, and kind of, um, I guess, creating a little, you know, queer and queer friendly ninja army. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people use the words like safe space. Mm -hmm. um, what does that feel like to you? And like, how is that different from other, I don't know, like cis gyms, normal yeah. gyms? this hat gyms that you've been in <laughs> <laughs> yes. um I know I'm, I'm glad you said that because I do I do feel a bit like it's become kind of like a, a trigger word or like right a, yeah you know what's what's the um uh you know like not, not a keyword but like uh, everyone's using it it's like trendy to say yeah, it's a safe yeah. Space now um yeah no I that is probably the most important part to me um we have uh an inquiry email that we send to anyone who you know inquires about about our services, um, which kind of explains um, part of what that safe space entails and what it is. And, and mostly it's just to offer people in our community um, the space to not have to be forced to go to the women's bathroom or, um, you know, be in an uncomfortable space where people are not queer friendly or, um, you know, for instance, the, the, um, I, I've taught at schools and been at schools where things can be very gendered, right? Even in your response to your teacher, sometimes it's yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. Right. Um, and so how do you kind of navigate that with people who don't identify as either? Right. Um, so for me, kind of making conscious efforts to like remove language like that or just not use language like that 
um, is important that that makes it safer to me um, that someone's not assuming that about me um, you know and it was also important to me uh, luckily the gym is is um, in a wonderful building that's very queer friendly and um, you know they have gender neutral bathrooms and things like that that just make a space feel more accommodating to the community that we're in um, and I think makes it feel a little bit less intimidating to people especially beginners who are coming in and it's like you already have to deal with being nervous about trying a new thing, but now you have to deal with like the bathroom thing and the changing thing. And that, right. So yeah. it's, I think, I think for me, the safe space was more maybe eliminating issues that I found in other spaces yeah. um, to provide that true safe space for people. And it's also a space where, you know, if somebody like I have clients who are like, yes, I really physically needed that, but I also like mentally needed that today. Um, so it's also a space where people like, you know, we check in with each other. It's not just like a business where I'm like, give me your money. I'm going to train you. Yeah. It's a community. And that's why it's, that's why, you know, we're club members and they're not clients because it is that community feel um, of how are you doing today? How are you feeling? Um, you haven't had any trouble with anything? Like, can we help with anything? Um, you know, we have a wonderful student who um, a couple months ago was trying to uh, put together enough money to move into a new apartment to get out of their situation um, and we crowdsourced and we funded, we raised money and they now have enough money to move into their new place. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, so it's really important to us to not only generate business, but to also generate community and network and support. Um, because, you know, we're lucky to be in uptown Chicago, which is a pretty queer friendly neighborhood, but most of the neighborhoods around the city are not, and they don't have things like this. Um, so maybe eventually it'd be great to kind of have QKC be traveling, um, able to go to different neighborhoods and stuff like that um and we actually are talking to uh, uh an organization here which works with a lot of queer community and queer youth about doing an ongoing program with them as well too so lots of stuff coming up for more community and network stuff cool cool so how do you think like your um experience as like queer gender fluid all of the words that you used before um has like changed your view of your body confidence or like sports mm. has impacted you as a, a person who uses they them pronouns or whatever mm-hmm. yeah yeah um it definitely has <laughs> <laughs> I mean you know it's sometimes it's hard for me to gauge because uh most of my martial arts training was in a space that was so queer centric so often I wonder if I had trained in like a more typical sort of cishet you know, male school, if my experience, it, it would have been different for right, sure, right. but how it would have been different. Um, and so sometimes I feel like I almost got the easy end of the stick in that sense, because I was like in a place where it was okay to be whatever you wanted. Um, but certainly in, in other schools, you know, like I just mentioned, um, martial arts can be very gendered. It can be very exclusionary. And um, particularly if you're competing, like when I used to do tournaments, you have to weigh in and you have to be in a, a gender category. You right. have to fight either men or women. You cannot fight both. Um, so it can get very frustrating as a, as a queer person, um, when you feel just as in everyday life, when you feel like you don't fit into one of those binaries, um, and that you want to be able to do it all. Uh, and I think, I think we're, I think we're starting to get there, but I think there's still a lot of, um, people out there who think that women and women identifying people should not be doing martial arts. Um, and you know, there's this whole kind of the whole uh I like to call it like the pink glove effect um right so like why why do we have pink boxing gloves? right and, yeah. and why do why are they yeah. only for women you know like I've never if 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 
men and male identifying people want to wear them, great. But I've never seen that. Um, and I feel like there's this whole thing that's been created around like, oh, women need like special stuff for martial arts. And so <laughs> I think part of my own experience in that. Or I mean, do they just of... need like special pink things in general? Right. Like pink right. pens and pink pens, whatever. Pink lighters. Pink razors. Pink, yeah. Ugh, it's it's <laughs> sickening. Um, but I think, I think part of my own, uh, you know, personal experience with that has just been trying to push back on that. Um, and I think honestly that, that is part of why I was so adamant about creating QKC is because I didn't want to be in that world anymore. Um, and, and wouldn't it be great if we could create like, I don't know, a competition or a tournament down the line where it wasn't gendered. I mean, that would be, that would be really cool. Um, just to be able to provide that for people who, who haven't had that in such a gendered thing. Right. What are some of the best and worst moments you've had since starting QKC? I would say th- I'll start with the worst because I remember the worst. Yeah. Because <laughs> we always remember the worst. Yeah. Um, I was experimenting a couple months ago with uh, promotions and paying for ads um, to try and reach more people. Yeah. Uh, and... I started QKC solely on Instagram, uh, just to kind of gauge, put it out there, see if right. it was going to, yeah. you know, um, and then once it kind of started gaining a little bit of momentum and I started getting, you know, more, more people training then I reluctantly created a Facebook page for it. Um, I had deleted my like personal Facebook years before. So I was like, I don't want to mess with that. Right. But, you know, people were saying we should, cause there's a different crowd. On Facebook. So I created a Facebook page. Um, it's not as like, you know, well done on Instagram, but it's there. Um, we're working on it. Um, but I remember posting something and promoting it um, and receiving like several sort of negative and hateful comments um, from very young people. We're yeah. talking sort of like the eight, 17, 18 year old kind of, you know, male audience. Um, Generally speaking, not not typically your your nicest or most compassionate audience, but right. I'm not going to generalize. Um, but you know, they were just comments about like, oh, is this only for queer? You know, is this only for queer people? And like, why do queer people need this? And like, queer people get everything, and just kind of like really false, inaccurate, um, right. damaging comments. Um, and so, you know, for me as like a, a new kind of you know, business owner, community organizer, um, trying to navigate that. Uh, obviously, you know, you have to decide if you want to answer, how you want to answer, if you want to do all that stuff. So yeah. I, I answered and I just very diplomatically said, you know, hopefully you can learn from queer people in your life that queer people feel that they don't actually get everything and that, you know, we really need a, a space where we feel safe and, and able to train and just kind of something along those lines. Yeah. And, um, you know, they never responded, of course, but uh, it was the first backlash that we had really truly gotten. Everything else had been super positive and supportive. And yeah. um, I think just Facebook does have a different audience and you can kind of tailor the promotions to like age range, location, like, um, and so I, I learned my lesson mm. and we adjusted our filters yeah. a little bit. Um, not that we don't want to appeal to that crowd too, but it's, you know, we obviously want to generate good press and, and support, um, and, and not hateful comments. Um, so that was probably the worst. Um, the best, um, I mean, I don't want to sound corny, but truly I really enjoy every session. I really, it's, it's such a passion project for me, um, that I get to train people of all different like experience levels and endurance levels and from all walks of life and, 
uh, people that I've known since I was eight years old and people that I just met off of Instagram. Um, I will say that the only other thing is that we, so our acronym is QKC because it's for a reason, it's Queer Kickboxing Club and this is the Chicago chapter. So a goal would be to um, get a chapter going in other cities um, and kind of make a, a national network of this so that people who travel or people who want to travel or who are in different cities can also benefit from this. So that would be, um, you know, a, a long-term goal for us. So if you're in a different city, look out, I'll be coming to you soon. <laughs> nice. Nice. No, that's really cool. Are you down to do a little bit of trivia? Let's do it. Um, so I've got some questions about LGBT history in Chicago and Illinois um, and kickboxing okay. history. So what year did Illinois issue a charter for a nonprofit group called the Society for Human Rights, the, f- the first homosexual organization in the U.S., which only lasted for a few months? So what year? I'm going to go with like... I don't know, 1991. Uh, so it was actually <laughs> probably way off. <laughs> uh, 1924. Whoa, that's amazing. Yeah, oh uh, really gosh. crazy uh, because it was still like illegal to be uh, homosexual or, you know, homosexual. And a activities. mental illness. Yeah. It was considered a mental illness. And kickboxing history. In 1976, kickboxing split off from full contact roles in the professional karate organization. What was the new organization called? Uh, well, there's a, there's a world. Mm, that's different. You were actually on the right track. Yeah, I don't know. So it Would is, it, yeah, world, world. World Karate Federation? World Kickboxing Organization. Uh, it was ni- 1976. Okay. Illinois became the first state to decriminalize homosexual activity in what year? Mm, mm, let's see. I'm going to go with... Um... It's a first state, though. Oh, wow. Go Illinois. <laughs> I am a proud Illinoisan right now. Um, I'm going to go with somewhere in the 80s, I think. Maybe like 83? Uh, so 1961. Oh, wow. How fast was the fastest KO in kickboxing history? Ooh, that's a fun one. The fastest KO. There are some pretty quick KOs out there. Sometimes all it takes is one technique. Ten seconds? (laughs) So what I found was 1.8 seconds. um, What? By Australian Ian Jacobs in 2009. Uh, what year were the gay games, which is basically the Olympics for mm. LGBT people, held in Chicago? Mm. I, I think this was in the early 90s, but it may have been the late 80s. We'll go with, we'll go with like 1990. Uh, 2006. Really? Yeah. God, my gay history is terrible. Last question. Can you name three international governing bodies of kickboxing? Three international governing bodies. Yeah. Okay. So, like, for example. Um, so, for example, we already talked about one, which is the World Kickboxing Kickboxing Organization. Yeah. Well, so there's obviously I can tell you there's a World Sado Karate Organization. There's also the the um, Women's Martial Arts Federation, which is very cool. Which is um, obviously focuses on women and martial arts. I don't. I can't think of another one. Um, the short list I have. And I know there are more, 
uh, International Combat Organization, World uh, Association yeah. of Kickboxing, mm-hmm. uh, International Sport Karate Association, International mm-hmm. Kickboxing Federation, and World Kickboxing Network. Yeah. yeah, and they're all different. Like they're all, it's all different rules, different targets, different power. Um, yeah, so it's really cool. Where to find you on the internet, Instagram or otherwise, and like what sort of community things do you have going upcoming? Um, you can find us at QKC Chicago. Um, we are on Facebook, as I <laughs> mentioned. Uh, I would I would stick to Instagram if you want to see more content. Uh, if anybody wants more information or has any questions about it, they can always email us at QKCChicago at Gmail. The uh, meetup group that we also run, uh, which is called Pre Meetup Chicago, is a monthly um, safe space <laughs> nice. um, for specifically for queer, trans, non-binary GNC people. Um, and they are, our mission is to provide a space where people do not feel pressured to spend money or drink or socialize or do anything that they don't want to do. It's a very chill, no pressure situation. Um, our goal for that also is to move around the city. So the location changes every month so that we can get into different spots. Um, and so we have our next one coming up for that, uh, on Friday, December 6th. It's always the first Friday of the month. It's been awesome talking with you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. This episode of the Queer Fitness Podcast is sponsored by stdcheck.com. Order STD tests online, visit a test center, and get your results within one to two days. Get $10 off your order and find your nearest lab by following the link in the show notes of the podcast. 